0: And those miracles, that first miracle, see that moment of clarity? I'll tell you how big a miracle that is. It normally happens to the alcoholic before you show up in AA. When you show up here, we assume you've had it. And the proof of that is your last drink. I'm only going to bet a whole lot of money. When you had your last drink and you sat it down, you had no idea that was your last drink. What happened? Why was that your last? I've sworn off many times. What happened? called divine intervention. It's God talking soul to soul, and you know you're an alcoholic. Now, what you do with that is going to depend on whether you stay sober or not.
1: Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. Hody, 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 ho. That was the voice of the one and only Mr. Reno John that you heard at the beginning of this here episode number 269. And you will be hearing so much more from him in just a moment. But first things first, this here episode is brought to you by Marie and Michelle you know what Marie and Michelle did? Well, they went to our website, www.soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab, and they made a, a contribution. So thank you so much, Marie and Michelle. This here episode is coming right out to Ewan's. Thanks for helping us keep the virtual lights turned on. I John M., just another bozo on the bus, will indeed be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat around this virtual table, if you will, and let's get started. All right, I'm going to read something here from our super secret Facebook group. And if you are not part of the super secret Facebook group, and you would like to be, uh, please uh, go to the Facebook application, look up Sober Speak secret group and ask for admission in to the group and we will get you on in there. But this was posted by Steve, Steve R. Um, Once again, he is one of several that we have, but he is our original, what I call uh, daily reflections kind of guys in the uh, Facebook group. Uh, And he puts in something. I think it's every day. I've not gone back and actually double checked that, but it's close to every day. And he uh, usually puts something in there from the Big Book, and then give some commentary afterwards. And this is what he put in. I noticed this week. It says, "This is from page eight of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous." It says, "I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace." and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. Page eight, let me read that again, because it's a great passage. And it says, I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. Once again, that's page eight from the big book. And then Steve goes on to give some commentary here. He says, beyond the three-dimensional physical existence we perceive with our senses, there is more. It's quite challenging to describe the words designed with the illusion of limitedness, and yet it is absolutely real. There is more, more mystery, more depth, more height, more knowing, and as we acknowledge a higher power and actually connect, we can experience this fourth dimension, and he ends it with, enjoy the ride. Thanks, Steve, for putting that out there. I appreciate it. Now onto our guest of the week, many of you, if you're a new listener, you may not know Reno John, but Reno John has been on the pod uh, a significant amount of times. I would say six, seven, eight, something like that. So he's been on many times. Uh, We've had a lot of great episodes with Reno John. We've got a lot of great feedback from him. And then he was actually speaking at the Tri-Cities event in north texas which is a a live event where uh uh, folks come together and hear a speaker and it's hosted by the tri-cities folks (laughs) i'm sure there's a better way to say that uh but they put this on once a quarter here in uh north texas and uh so Reno John came by and he was uh, kind enough uh, to give of his time and speak at the Tri-Cities events. He's going he when I say he Reno John will talk about the difference between old timers and long timers. He's going to talk about the two parts to every miracle, the difference between complex and simple and he explains that. And he explains why and why he is an alcoholic because he couldn't quote drink Enough. Unquote. I know you're going to enjoy this one and we will have plenty. Oh, listener feedback at the end of this here episode with Reno, John. So stay tuned at the end. Enjoy.
0: Serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to
1: change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. All righty. So uh, without further ado... Go ahead and uh, call up uh, Reno John. And I would like to say that uh, because I listen to Sober Speak, I know that John has a birthday in October, right? October 7th, 81. Is this Sprite it? And
0: you know how I found that out? Sober Speak. So I'm just saying. Come on up, John. And I want to thank the uh, committee for, and the groups, the this for inviting me to come share. I've never been out here to this this meeting. And so it's kind of exciting. Uh, it's rare that I go to a meeting I haven't been to before, <laughs> you know. Uh, my name is John Allred, and I am an alcoholic. And by the grace of God and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, I have not had a drink of alcohol or mood-altering drugs since October 7th, 1981. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. Now, that does not make me an old-timer. I want to make that clear right now. There used to be when you came in, you know, we had old timers, and today they got a real problem with that. We got a real problem with old timers because they, you know, back when I came in, the average age was 40. When you came into AA, you were 40 years old. I was 30 when I came in, but the average age of a newcomer was 40. And so, by the time he had 40 years, he was dead. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and today we got him. I got a guy sponsored that came in when he was 15. He's now got 33 years sober. You know, well, he's not even 50. You know, he's, he's not an old-timer. He's a long-timer. That's the new terminology, long-timer. Long-timers. And so I got to learn. Some of the guys I run with are old-timers, and they want to know, well, am I a long-timer or an old-timer? So they, they developed a few questions you can ask yourself to find out if you're a long-timer or old-timer. Uh, it's pretty simple. If, you're, if it's Saturday night, here to Saturday night, and you're getting ready for bed about the same time you used to be getting ready to go out. <laughs> You're an old timer, yeah. And if Sunday morning you're getting up about the same time you used to be getting in, (laughs) you're definitely an old timer. And for you guys, for sure, if your drug of choice is Viagra, (laughs) you're an old timer, yeah? And as you pay attention to this, if your if your sex inventory has become your gratitude list. (laughs) You're an old-timer. Yeah, you really are. <laughs> so, Harry's an old-timer, you know. <laughs> He's an old-timer. I tell you, I uh, was thinking about what I was going to say, and uh, I think I'm going I'm to stay and focus more and more on what I've been talking about the last little bit, and that's uh, uh, Miracles of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because the longer I'm sober, the more I understand, and, and the deeper my... My understanding becomes of what a miracle it is that any of us are sober. I mean, it's amazing because we shouldn't be. We should be dead. You know, that's the reality of the disease is that for an alcoholic to get sober, it's a miracle. And there's no way to explain a miracle. You can't, that's what makes it a miracle. If you could explain it, it wouldn't be a miracle. You know, the fact you can't explain something is what makes that a miracle. I mean, think what would happen. What would happen if, if, uh, Moses tried to explain his miracles, right? Now, you get got Moses, you got the children of Israel down in Egypt. They, they were held captive down there for 247 years. A lot of people didn't know that. I know that. So Moses is going to come along, great deliverer, taken back to the promised land, right? Y'all see that movie? I know you didn't read the book, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so so Moses taking them back to the promised land, right? They get stopped. They don't know how to cross the Red Sea. We're going to build a boat. We're going to walk around. How are we going to cross the Red Sea? We don't know how to cross. All, right, all of a sudden, they come up and say, hey, Pharaoh changed his mind. He's coming to get us. What are we going to do? And God parts the Red Sea. But see, whenever there's a miracle, and here's what's interesting. Whenever there's a miracle, there are two parts to every miracle. There's God's part, and that's the thing we always talk about. God's part of the miracle, what God did. But there are two parts. There's God's part and there's our part. God part of the Red Sea was God's part of that miracle. But see, the children of Israel had to have enough faith to walk through the Red Sea. Some of them didn't want to do that. If you read the book, some of them have to tell you, in the book. Some of them said, oh, no, I'm not going through there. No, I'd rather go back to Egypt and be a slave than walk through there. Think how scary that is. You got your little kids with you. You got that water stacked up. If so We're going to walk. No, I'll go back to Egypt. I'll be a slave. Go back to Egypt. They had to have enough faith to walk through the Red Sea. You know, if they don't have that faith, there's no miracle. If they, don't go, if they don't walk through the Red Sea, we don't talk about it today. They went back to Egypt. You know, they're still slaves. In your sobriety, if you're here tonight... You've had that miracle. You've had the miracle. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, what that miracle is. You're going to have a lot of Red Seas you've got to walk through in sobriety. Don't turn your back on the miracle God gave you. Have enough faith to walk through the Red Sea. Don't go back to the slavery of alcoholism. We'll get into that. I've been thinking a lot about there's there's a relationship between something that's Very uh, complicated, something that's complex, and something that's simple. And the best way to understand that is to look at uh, something that's real complicated. Back years and years and years ago, every traveling salesman, every outdoor salesman, used to have a map skull. You, You young people won't believe this, but they used to actually take maps, and they would print the map on paper. Honest to God, they did that, and then they would make a book, and they would go down to, and they called a map and they'd go down to the map school store, and they would buy a book of maps. Unbelievable, they did that. Now this was complicated because he had all this big thick book, and so you're, the territory you're working, you buy a map school for that book, you go back there the night before your business day the next day you have to go through that the back of the book that you had your appointment set how do i get there so you look at the address you find the address that the street number in the back of the book and it had little numbers by it page numbers where it was so you went to that page number and then it had numbers across the top of the page and down the side of the page and where those intersect was where that street was so then you found where they were then you had to backtrack how to get to that street this was complicated Take you all day to get three appointments mapped out. You have to map out how I'm going to get there. Very complicated deal. Today, I have a phone. Now, this is very complex. There's an app on this phone, and it works in every nation on earth that I've been to. I've been all around the world. You know, it works in it works in Iceland. It works in Jakarta, it works in England, it works in Hong Kong, it works all around everywhere. It works everywhere, you know? And it's very, but it's very complex. Has thousands of lines of code. I don't know code. I don't write code. I don't know what an algorithm is. Don't have a, I don't have a clue what an algorithm is. It's too complex for me, you know? But it's very simple. Because all I have to do, I don't even have to type, I pull up the app, I don't even have to type in the address. I hit the microphone and speak the address in, and it pulls up where I am and how to get to where I'm going to go. And I'll then it becomes very simple, because I just have to follow directions to get where I am. And you know what? More than anybody else, alcoholics argue with GPS. What the hell? She got me going, what? That's silly. Why am I going that way? Now that I know where it is, I know, I know how to get there. I know how to get there. I'm just going to go that way, you know. But see, the problem is, is, the GPS, the app, knows things I don't know. It knows that, well, there's a wreck over there, and, and there's construction going over there, so this is a quicker, safer way for you to go, you know. But I just have to follow I have to argue with it. And yet, we argue with everything. We do, I do that with my sponsor. Instead of following directions, he, I call him up, just nuts. Every day You call your sponsor, you're just nuts. I say, I need to talk to you today. Okay, you know, I've been thinking, we'll talk about it. Just let me ask you a real quick question. Uh, have, have you made your bed? What? I just got out of bed. No, I haven't made my bed. I got a real problem here, been think about it all night. Getting, I got a real problem here. Okay, I'll tell you what. Make your bed, me when you're done, we'll talk about it. Hangs up. Make your bed calm on the phone. Okay, here, oh, you know, I appreciate you making the bed. Is it made? Yeah, it's made. Okay, I noticed your car is a wreck, man. Your car looks like it's drunk. You know, you use that back seat as a garbage pan back there. You just throw your bottles in the back seat, all your ash. Tell you what, clean your car out, wash your car. You need the oil. Tell us to change the oil, and then call me when you're done, and we'll talk about it. I got a problem here. I can't even. No, get that done. We'll talk about it. Hang up. Don't even talk to you. You get that done. Come on the phone. He says, okay, I tell you what. I want to talk to you about this. Meet me at the meeting, and we'll talk about it after the meeting. And he hangs up the phone. You go to the meeting. You can't wait to talk to him about it. You have a meeting. You have a great meeting. After the meeting, sponsor comes up to you. You ever do this? Sponsor comes up and says, so what's going on? Nothing. Why? <laughs> well, you know, you call me. You were just kind of nuts when you called, oh yeah, what was that about? I don't know. If I think about it, I'll I'll, I'll call you think about it. What happened? What happened? If we follow directions, and I want to tell you, that's the hardest thing for an alcoholic to do is follow directions. I started out, when I started out, my drink, I didn't start drinking until I was 25. I didn't drink. When I was growing up, I grew up in a very healthy environment. Nobody drank in my family. Nobody drank. My dad didn't drink. Mom didn't drink. Brother and sister didn't drink. I didn't drink growing up. I grew up in a very normal, healthy environment. We never had to, like, move in the middle of the night. <laughs> you know? The lights always came on at my house. amazing. You flip the light switch, all the lights came on. You know? Went to high school, never drank in high school. Went to college, never drank in college. Got out of college. Went in the insurance business, Salt Lake City, Utah. Things were going pretty good. I was scared to death. I went into the insurance business. Got married my senior year. In college, like you're supposed to. You know, you get a little senior, I said we gotta get married. And I'd go in the office in the morning, say come out and give me these little pink notes. I said, What what are these? Those are your phone messages. Who from? I don't know. Well, what do you think they want? I guess they want to buy insurance, (laughs) you know. I think from me? Come on, man. You know, I mean phones are a scary deal. You young people today, you have no idea how scary it is to have a telephone when you're out there drinking and practicing your alcoholism. You got a telephone with no caller ID. That's when it's tough to drink. That's tough to drink. You know, we, we had, finally we got caller ID and we got voicemail and all that. I want to tell you, all that technology, all that stuff was invented by alcoholics for alcoholics. It really was. Much easier to stay drinking out there. But I, I would uh, ran to a guy named Stuart. Stuart drank. And he drank in the bar. And I loved the bar. Loved everything about the bar. So you can get out of the bar. I'd run the bar with him. He'd drink whatever. I never paid attention. I'm drinking Coca-Cola, Diet Coke. I never drank. Drinking Diet Coke. Loved everything about the bar. So you can get out of the bar. You can be anything you want to be in the bar. Anything you want to be. Get out of the bar. We get some women over the table. They say, what, what do you do? I like to do a lot of stuff. Sometimes I'd retire. They say, What do you do? I've retired. 24 year old retiree. <laughs> you must have made a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I made a lot of money. That's so why I drive a Toyota. <laughs> you know? Sometimes I'd say, What do you do? I actually dance on Broadway. Now, if you tell that lie, you can't dance the rest of the night. They say, Let's go dance. No, uh, no, I'm sorry. Listen, I, I appreciate that. That's work to me, okay? I'm on vacation. You know? They pay me to dance. I'm not dancing. No, I'm, I'm not dancing at all. See, it never was good enough for me to be John R. an insurance agent. I had to be John Arred, somebody else. It didn't matter what that something else was. As long as it's something other than what it really was. And finally, when my second child was born, I had my first drink. And i only tell you about my first and last drop. My first drink was great, man. Stuart called me up after the, after Teresa was born, and he congratulated me. He said, okay, we're going out drinking tonight. We're, I'm... We're going to get drunk. You're buying. We're buying for you. All, all of our friends are going out. We're buying for you. You're going to get drunk tonight. I said, okay. So we got drinking. Now Salt Lake had to be a member of a private club doing drinking. So we got to a private club called The Winery right across the Salt Palace downtown, Salt Lake. Walked in there, lights flashing, live band, music, women. Had my first drunk. It was a great drunk. And I don't know what I a A lot of people know what they drank, what the first drink was. There was beer, whatever, wine, whatever. I don't know what mine was. You know, they bring it, they buy me a drink, dark, dark drink. Got a cherry in it. Drink it down. Somebody else buys me another drink, a light, light colored drink, got a twist all around. I just drink it down. Somebody bought me a drink, it had salt all around the rim. That'll make you thirsty, drinking that drink. Just drink it down. Had a great drunk. I did dance that night. I found out a couple drinks. I can dance. <laughs> Very good dancer. You know? Danced that night with okay. Danced with two lesbians. <laughs> They're out there dancing together, you know, and I thought they probably want me to join them. <laughs> and I mean then they left together and there I was alone. But I learned something. No rejection. When you're drunk, you're just drunk. You know, there's no rejection when you're drunk, you're just drunk. Sat down, drank the next drink sitting in front of me. Got up the next morning, really felt pretty good. No hangover, a little, little dehydrated. I called up Stuart and I said, Stuart, I had a ball. I had a ball. He said, you did. You flat got after it. I said, you're going to go have a drink tonight? He said, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. I'll probably stop and have one on the way home. I said, what time are you going to do that? He said, well, John, I got to work till 3 o'clock this afternoon. I can't get off work till 3. I said, let's meet at 3.30. Meet him at 3.30, got drunk again. He said, that's what I do. I like to drink to get drunk. I never drank socially. I never got that cocktail or that beer or that glass of wine and visited and drank some of it and went home. I never did that. Three weeks after that first drunk, I remember pulling in front of the liquor store at 10 in the morning, because they open at 10, so I'm on time. And I'd go in there, and I'd buy three little mini bottles of vodka, you know those little mini bottles you get on the airplane? Get those three little mini bottles. And I sat on the car, because they told me you can't smell vodka, right? So I'd crack those bottles open, and I'd suck that down. That's hard. Hole's only that big in those little bottles. You get a hernia suckling those puppies. You know you really will. And then I'd be okay to go to work, and my life's changing immediately. I'm getting all kinds of trouble, and I'm getting. And the mothers were just getting organized, and they were mad against drunk drivers. And they were publishing a lot of articles in the newspaper about drunk drivers. I read an article that said only one in two thousand drunk drivers gets picked up DWI. One in two. I read that and I thought. That's pretty good odds. (laughs) One in 2000, I can drink every single night for like six years before I got to worry about getting a DWI, you know? I've been drinking six months to get my first DWI. What are the odds of that? But I'm a positive guy, positive. I got like 10 years for my next DWI. That's how I look at this thing, you know? Play the odds, that's all I'll do. And uh, I'm getting all kinds of trouble, you know? Uh, and, And they started telling me, John, slow down. Slow down. It's a, this isn't a race. It's a marathon. Just pace yourself. Pa- pace your Who paces themselves? You know, it's insane. Can't pace myself. I don't want to pace myself. Just slow down. You know. And, I, and then they start telling me I'm an alcoholic. My wife started telling me I'm an alcoholic. Now, once they start telling you that, you're in trouble. Because you got no correct response to that accusation. You can't say, no, I'm not. Cause then they say, see, denial, that's the first clue to alcoholism is that you're in denial, you know. You can't say, yeah, you're probably right, cause then you gotta go to AA. So there's no, you can't, you can't, no, you're just screwed when they start telling you that. And I said, well, what's an alcoholic? That was my response. Well, hey, what, okay, what's an alcoholic? How do you know you're an alcoholic? How do you know that? What is an alcoholic? They said, it's, it's a disease. Okay, let's go to the doctor, find out. Well, we really can't do that. We can't go to the doctor about this disease? No, not, not really, no. So we can't go get some blood analysis? I mean, I watch CSI. They, everything with blood. No, we can't do any blood analysis. No MRI? CAT scan? Nothing like that to find out about this disease? No? Well, how do you know you're alcoholic? How do you know that? Oh, here's the deal. Y'all want me to quit drinking. Okay, think about this. What happens 20 years from now, I find out I'm not alcoholic. I've blown 20 years I could have been drinking. Not gonna take that kind of risk. Not gonna take that kind of risk. It's not gonna do it, you know? So then they say, You drink too much. As soon as they told me I drank too much, I know I'm not alcoholic. Because I never drank too much in my life. But I'll tell you a secret there's not an alcoholic in this room tonight that ever drank too much. It's impossible for the alcoholic to do that. You can't do it. See, normal drinkers, we got any on here? Raise your hand if you we got one? We got one out. Oh, we got two. Okay, two. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. They need to be here. <laughs> normal drinkers, see, normal drinkers can drink enough. And so occasionally, but not very often, they might drink too much. See, I am an alcoholic not because I drank too much. I'm an alcoholic because I couldn't drink enough. You ever drink enough? I'm trying to see somebody in this group. You go to the bar and I have a couple of cocktails. bartender says, you ever on another cocktail? Oh, golly, let's see. It's Sunday tomorrow. Don't want to miss church. I think I've had enough. <laughs> Never had enough, you know? It's impossible for the alcoholic to drink enough. Those normal drinkers can drink enough. They might drink too much. But if you're an alcoholic you can't drink enough, it's impossible to drink too much. It'll never happen. They don't understand that. And I don't understand how they can drink enough. Doesn't make any sense to me. How, how can you drink? I'll tell you what. I, mar- I married an al You know? It's embarrassing to watch them drink. I'll, I'll just be honest about it. It's embarrassing, you know? I'll never forget. the First time it really dawned on me how bad it was. We were, we were dating. And we dated for seven years. But we were dating, and, and uh, it was August... Dallas, Texas, hot. She says, I feel like a beer. Can we get a beer? I said, sure. I said, you want to go in and join, or do you, you want to get one for the road? She said, just get one for the road. So I stopped at a gas station, went and bought a six-pack. She came out. She said, what are you doing? So we said, you wanted a beer. She says, yeah, a, a beer. You bought a six-pack. I said, I, honey, I don't think they sell singles. I mean, do they sell singles? I don't think they sell singles, you know? And the thing that was really embarrassing about that whole thing is that was in August. Christmas time, we're, we're having a Christmas party at her house, her her place. And I'm in the kitchen helping things get ready for this Christmas party. I open up the refrigerator door, and there are four bottles of beer on the bottom shelf. I said, What what are these? Oh, that's our beer. Our beer? Yeah. The beer we bought in August? She said, Yeah, she said, I had five. You know, I drank one that night that day, but Daddy was over a couple weeks ago and we were watching football on Sunday. He likes to have a beer. When he ordered pizza, he likes to have a beer with his pizza. So I gave him one. I hope that's okay. <laughs> sure, it's okay. You know, it's not gonna get any better. You know, it's not like wine. We're not saving, saving that beer. And just incredible. The difference between the normal drinker and the alcoholic. I want to tell you, the book says, you know, they, they, their science doesn't have a pill. They may come out with a pill someday, which will allow the alcoholic to drink like normal drink. If they come out with that pill, I ain't taking it. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to take a pill that will make you drink like You ever watch them drink? Hell, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it really is. I'm sitting there, before I started dating past, I'm, a buddy of mine invited me to come over to his house on Sunday afternoon to meet this gal. So I go over there, and I walk in, and they got one one bucket of ice. We're going to have a pool party and barbecue, and there's one bucket of ice with one bottle of champagne in the bucket. I said, what's this? He said, well, oh, that's our champagne. I said, what are you going to do with it? He said, well, the girls wanted mimosas. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, how many bottles you got? He said, just the one. Why? I said, oh, hell, it's your party. You know, so we barbecued we we lay around the pool we had a great afternoon getting ready to leave to go home and uh, I walked in the kitchen all three of them are gathered around this bucket fussing with this bucket I said what are you doing Steve looks up and says oh John you're an alcoholic you don't know how to do this I said what How, how do we recork this bottle I said I don't have a clue how to recork that bottle you don't have to recork a bottle in your life. Come on. Hell, I'm embarrassed for them. I, three of them can't knock off one measly bottle of champagne all afternoon. I drank a 12-pack of Diet Coke in the meantime, you know, and they can't knock off one measly bottle of champagne, you know. You want to drink like that? I don't want to drink that way, you know. I'm not going to do it. So I'm, anyway, I'm, I'm, they're telling me I'm an alcoholic, and so they give you that little test, funky little test. Take that test. I can take that test, and I can pass it non-alcoholic. I did it three times. Because I lie. You know? it's, that, it's that simple. They call that denial, but I call it lying. Anyway, they, they, they ask you that question. Does alcohol cause you problems at home? Oh, I don't believe it does. I think we're okay. And I got problems at home, but alcohol's not one of them. As, as, we should have talked about it. It's a philosophical problem, really. We should have talked about it before we got married. My wife, she was under the opinion when you get married... She wanted to be married, you know, like seven days a week. <laughs> all week long, she wants to be married. I don't want to be married that way. I figured we'd be married Monday through Friday. Separate Friday, party all weekend, go home Monday. Nope, she wanted to be married all the time. Alcohol's ah, nothing to do with philosophical. The alcohol caused you problems at work. No. I got problems at work. Alcohol's ah, not one of them. You know? This is the boss. He's very unreasonable. He wanted me to work, get this, he wanted me to work during the day. <laughs> I'm talking about all day long. I'm a night person, function better at night. I just don't want to, don't want to work that way. That alcohol causes you legal problems. No, I don't believe it does. No, I just don't believe it does. Now, I got legal problems, but alcohol's not one of them. I don't know what I'd done to the police, but They were mad. The police were mad at me. I was thoroughly convinced they had my picture and license on every dashboard in Salt Lake City because when the cop sees me, they arrest me. I mean, I can be doing nothing wrong. I can be walking down the damn street, not even driving, walking. And a cop drives by, sees me, I go to jail. Happened to me. I'm walking down the street. Cop drove by, stopped, arrested me. Okay, it was 3.30 in the morning, but you can walk down streets of America at 3.30 in the morning. and no reason to get arrested for that. Okay, it's in the middle of the rainstorm. Bad rainstorm going on. I'm walking in the rain at 3.30 in the morning. You can walk in the rain if you want to. Dallas, it's free country. Okay, I didn't have a shirt on. I'm walking in the rain at 3.30 in the morning. Without so a shirt on. That's not against the law. I asked the cop, why did you stop? Okay, I had a gash in my head. I had blood running down my head. That was not my fault. I'd been in a cab earlier. told the cab driver to stop. I want to get out. That cab driver did not stop quick enough for me. I got out of that moving cab. Hit, hit the ground, knocked my head, was blood on, ripped my shirt. That's why I took the shirt off, you know. We don't want to wear a ripped shirt. I'm walking in the rain with a gashman. Cops said, I thought you got rolled. i stopped to see if you're okay. Ran my, ran my name, found out I had a warrant, arrested me. <laughs> this is not fair. This is not fair. They didn't bother come looking for us anymore. They just put out a warrant wait for us to show up, you know. It's just incredible how they do that. I not, and I did have a timing problem. I admitted I had a timing problem i get arrested and i think, ah, geez, I'm dead. if I'd have been 30 seconds sooner, I'd have been through that intersection, that cop wouldn't have been there, and I'd have been okay. Maybe I should have been 30 seconds later. See, the problem is, with the timing problem, you don't know whether you're going too fast or too slow, so you don't know whether to speed up or slow down. And so I'd sit in the bar and I'd think, I wonder if it's time for me to go. I always stay, you know. It's the timing problem. Finally, I figured out my real problem. The problem I was having, Utah's at a high altitude. You ever see those Winter Olympics? It's up in the mountains. Scientific fact. People who live at high altitudes for a long period of time have thinner blood than people who live at low altitudes. Scientific fact. People live at low altitudes have thinner blood, have, have thicker blood than people live at high alt- I've been living in Utah my whole life. I got to have thin blood. I'm living at a high altitude. Got to have thin blood. You party hard on thin blood, you have a problem. What I do is I get to sea level. Thick of my blood, I'll be okay. So I called a buddy of mine lives in Seattle, that's sea level. And I uh, told him about these problems I got. He said, man, get away from there, come up here. So I moved to Seattle, bounced around Seattle, went down to Las Vegas. I figured Las Vegas, yeah, I can play poker down there. And that's lower than sea level. You get thick, thick blood in Nevada. It's lower than sea level. Ended up in Reno, Tahoe. was doing just doing a little drinking, playing a little poker, thickening up my blood. And a uh, buddy of mine called me from Salt Lake, shouldn't have gone, he invited me to a birthday party. It's doing real good, go over to this birthday party. Friday night, we went out, found, she fell in love, she was at the bar waiting, fell in love with her that night, wanted to take her out Saturday, she couldn't go out Saturday or Sunday, had to stay till Monday to go out with this gal, supposed to go home Sunday, should have gone home, stayed till Monday to take her out, and uh, it was a bad date, you know you got a bad date when you invite them to go to dinner, and then they, they really want to eat, <laughs> So she's eating and I'm drinking, you know, but I'm a gentleman, sir, I order her, me a whiskey or her a glass of wine. Well, the woman's busy eating, you know, there's wine stacking up on her. Now, to keep from being embarrassed, I drink my whiskey and drink her wine, it was just a bad deal. And finally, she said, take me home, and I want to take her home, it was no fun that night. So I took her home, dropped her off, it was 10.30, 10.30 at night, early, and I went over, went over to uh, Bob's house and uh, stayed at his place that night, Boat's house, and... And, uh, she, she said she's like, well, so I bought a gallon of wine. So I went over there and knocked on his door. And he said, What are you doing? I thought I had a date. And I said, That damn woman. We went in there and we drank that wine all night. Had a gallon of it. And we drank it all night. That was October 6, 1981. And the next night was October 7, 1981. I said, Okay, now tomorrow night, October 7, 1981, we're going to hit the town one more time. Then I'm out of here. This how to drink. It'll get me in trouble. So we were out October 7, 1981. I went to the fast show at the hill. I remember the fast show and then the blackout. Blackout a lot. Came out of that blackout. Some blackouts are real scary. Some aren't too bad. There are two factors that determine how scary a blackout is. The first factor is how long you blacked out. The longer you blacked out, the more scary they are. second factor is what are you doing when you come out of your blackout? Well, that adds to the scary factor a lot. And I wasn't blacked out that long, a couple hours. But I came out of my blackout at the worst time. The worst possible time coming out of the blackout is when you're talking to the cops. Because <laughs> you have no idea where you are in the conversation. And you can't ask, what are we doing? You can't ask that. You, you know, you don't know what they've asked you, you don't know what you've told them, you don't know why they stopped you, you don't know any of that stuff. You've got to figure all that out without asking any questions. Bad time coming out of a blackout. I finally figured out that one of my, my driver's license. well, I didn't have a driver's license. <laughs> They took that three DWIs earlier. But I told the cop, it's over there. It's in my pants. I changed my pants. That's where I'm staying. It's in my pants over there. I'll bring it to you in the morning. They're not letting me go. Wait. They ran my license, ran my name, found out who it was, arrested me, and I'm in lockup. And this time, they're ticked. Because I couldn't even bond out. Because, see, I knew the system. Like, y'all know the system. No matter what you get arrested for, you plead not guilty. It doesn't matter what they arrest you for. Not guilty. And back then... In the, in the '70s and '80s, the whole fine for DWI was 250 bucks, and I think the biggest bond I ever posted was 50. And then go to the OR and get on your own recognizance most of the time. I think the biggest bond I posted was was 50 dollars out of the 250. And uh, and then you get an attorney. We still do this day. We postpone. You, know, you start that postpone, postpone that court day, postpone that court day, keep postponing it, postponing it. Finally, when they when they Attorney says, okay, no more postponing. Tomorrow we go to court. Be there at 10 o'clock. You want to be sure on the day before court, m- move. Because <laughs> that's why I, didn't, I never showed up. I just moved. I never went to court. I just moved. So I had all these a long lists. They read, they read each and every one of them. A long list of failure to appear. I didn't know that was against the law. That's a whole new charge. Every one of those is a charge. I'm looking at 99 years. For, for drunk stuff, you know, for failure to appear. Just silly. And, uh, didn't know it was against the law, Judge Rod appeared. And so, uh, they locked me up, and this time they, they said, you're gonna go to court. So I'm in lockup. Finally, a buddy of mine come down to see me stand. Not AA, don't know about AA. But he said, uh, had a lot of money. He so I can get you out. But don't way I'll do that, because it'll put you in my custody. No, way I'll assume that responsibility is you promise me you go to, you go to treatment, because you're sick. So I got out of there and went to treatment, and uh, i never forget, the first day I'm in, I'm in treatment, I checked in on Saturday, and they had a nice place, clean place. The next day was uh, my first exposure to Alcoholics Anonymous. Just felt a whole bunch of papers on that treatment center. And the next day was uh, AA, they brought AA in there. We sat, 36 of us sat around round tables at the lunchroom, and um, that AA meeting, first exposure to AA, didn't listen to a thing. That, two guys from outside came in, chaired the meeting, and didn't listen to a thing they said. Because I'm, I'm a real chameleon. I go someplace, I sit back, I'm going to judge everybody that's there. Who's the guy in charge? Who's the crazy guy? Who's the guy with all the money? Who's the guy with all the power? I'm going to figure out and where I fit in that group. You know, that's what I do. And these two guys talked for a while, and then they went down the road. These first, they introduced this. It was a discussion meeting, so the first guy said, my name's Joe B., I'm an alcoholic, I'll pass. The second guy said, my name's Jim B., I'm an alcoholic, I'll pass. I'll cut on real quick. What they do in AA is give their first name, last initial, admit to the group that they're alcoholic, and then pass. That must be the deal. If they had it written on the wall, admit to your palace over alcohol, if you do that, it's going to take that burden of alcohol as your mouth shoulder. said, oh, that must be the deal. So it got to me, I did it right. I said, my name is John A., I'm an alcoholic. I'll pass. Nothing happened. Not a damn thing happened. Well, AA must be for real simple-minded people. <laughs> if this is their program, for Pete's sakes, how silly can that be? I can't believe anybody can go to that. Now, as a distorted perception, that was my perception of AA. It ain't for me. That was on Sunday. Monday got me my counselor, Dell, Lovely lady. She wanted me to stay two months. Two months. Del, Dale. Dell, Del, Dale. dale, dale, dale. Mm. I've been here all weekend. Okay? been talking to these guys. They told me they're alcoholics. I believe them. They look like they probably are alcoholics. And I I don't know if I'm an alcoholic. I may have a little bit of alcoholism in me, not much, but I'm too busy to stay two months. I cannot stay two months. Too busy. She says, you're busy? I said, I'm busy. She looks through all her papers, and she she looks up. She says, John, where were you working? Okay, I'm not working, but I'm busy. Okay, I'm busy. Isn't that true? Alcoholics are the most busy, unemployed people you're going to meet in your life, right? I don't know what we do, but we're busy doing it, you know. So uh, I say, I give you two weeks Dale. so you you let me study whatever you're going to study in that two-month period. I'll read ahead, and you can give pop quiz, because two weeks, I'm out of here. Because I figure that, because I'm not going to quit drinking. That's not what I'm doing there. I'm just doing treatment time. And I figure treatment time is better than jail time, so I'll do two weeks treatment time. I get out of jail and go back to Reno and get on with my life. Low out drinking is the, the magic to this deal. So I go back... Uh, that was on Monday. Tuesday, we had to go to group therapy. I love group therapy. Wednesday's Alcoholic Education Seminar. Showing a movie about drug addiction alcoholism. I don't like movies about drug addiction and alcoholism. They're boring. Even today, they're boring. So I'm sitting there. All my pride, all my ego, all my content. Prepared not to like the movie. I don't want to be there. I'm not going to quit drinking. I'm watching this. I'd seen Days of Wine and Roses. I didn't see another movie about alcohol. I'm watching that movie and it tore me apart. I related to everything in that movie. I did everything that guy did. I drank the way the guy drank. I acted the way the guy acted. You know? I dressed the way the guy dressed. I talked the way the guy talked. I did everything he did, including drink the way he drank. And as I related to that guy, I knew the gig was up. That was my moment of clarity the book talks about, when you know the gig is up, as I related to that. Think how important that is. What happened to me that night is I quit looking for that definition. What's an alcoholic? How do you know you're an alcoholic? What is that? What is an alcoholic? I quit looking for the definition. Later found out in AA, see, we don't have a definition of an alcoholic in AA. We don't have that definition. What we have in AA is a description of the alcoholic. So you can't argue with the description. The most powerful tool God has given alcoholics in on is our description of the alcoholic. Because it's that description that seems to have the power to literally strip everything that separates the alcoholic from himself. And I could see me in that life like I'd never seen me. I could see me in that light like my ex-wife saw me. I could see me in that light like my mom saw me. The difference was I could see me as I related to that description. And I knew the gig was up. Think how important that is. Two-thirds of our book, two-thirds of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is what? Descriptions in the stories. I mean, Why would they put all those stories in there? Just to make a big book? (laughs) Because it's it's that description as the alcoholic relates to it that seems to have the power to literally strip everything that separates the alcoholic from himself. And I knew the gig was up. And I wasn't happy about it. I cried all night. My whole life just changed. I'm an alcoholic. My God. I'm an alcoholic. My whole life's just changed. I got to get like a job. You know? I can't drink. How am I going to function in a world? I don't know how to function without drinking. Scared to death. And I stayed there six weeks. Couldn't stay too much, too busy. <laughs> but I got out of there and I, I uh, they told me, you, know, you, you aftercare, a very important part of aftercare is AA. And so you can't come back here three times a week for aftercare, so you go to AA for your aftercare. So they gave me intergroup's phone number. So I drove back to and I know two things and I drove back there. I know I'm alcoholic, and I don't want to drink, I know AA's got none to offer, you know? And so I drove back there, and the first time back in town, I called AA, got answered the phone, and that started my whole trip in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know? And it's just been an incredible ride. And those miracles, that first miracle, see that moment of clarity? I'll tell you how big a miracle that is. It normally happens to the alcoholic before you show up in AA. When you show up here, we assume you've had it. And the proof of that is your last drink. I'm only going to bet a whole lot of money. When you had your last drink and you sat it down, you had no idea that was your last drink. What happened? Why was that your last? I've sworn off many times. What happened? It's called divine intervention. It's God talking soul to soul and you know you're an alcoholic. Now what you do with that is going to depend on whether you stay sober or not. We always talk about there, but for the grace of God? I don't believe that's true. I think you're going to have to do a lot of stuff. If that's true, that means I'm sober by grace. You know, for 41 years, I've been sober by grace. That guy that's still drunk out there didn't get grace. Why not? Why did I get grace and he didn't? God loves me more than him? We know that's not true. So there's got to be something more than Grace got to be it's what are you going to do with that grace are you going to walk through the red sea you know because those miracles are going to continue to happen are you going to follow directions and do what you're supposed to do you know that your sponsor tells you to do and the miracles didn't never stop they just never stop i'll never forget two quick instances i in in, in 1990 i was speaking a lot And I was traveling a lot, almost every weekend, and I was tired. And I had committed to speak in Del Rio, Texas, at a little conference called the Border Conference in Del Rio, Texas. And I didn't want to, I got back, and I didn't want to go, because I had to drive, I had to drive to Del Rio. And that's like a nine hour drive. And I was tired, and I, I don't want to go. I talked to my sponsor about it, my sponsor said, did you commit to go? I said, yeah. He said, then you go. You know, you go. Keep your yeses. You want to know how to set boundaries? Keep all your yeses. You say yes, keep it. And so I drove down to that conference, and I didn't want to go out and it was a long drive. And I got there Friday, and it was a good meeting Friday night. And Saturday, I'm at the conference, and a gal, Dottie E on her name badge. Dottie comes up, and I said, she's from Connecticut. I said, Dottie, what are you doing in Del Rio, Texas? from Connecticut. I'm on my way to see my husband. He's in the military, in the Navy. And his ship just got in. He's staying in San Diego. And so we drove down, got the kids with me. We drove down to see see their dad. We spent the night here last night. We we're going to go on. But I thought, let's just take an extra day and sleep. And we'll go across the border, do some souvenir shopping. We'll leave in the morning. So I've been in AA for five years. And I called AA. They told me about the conference. So I came to the conference. And I said, well, welcome to Texas. So I spoke that night. She heard me talk. She comes up after the meeting. She said, uh, am I to get this right? You sobered up in Utah? I said, yeah. She said, well, do you have any relatives in Orm, Utah? I said, well, you know, I grew up in Orm, Utah. She said, well, are you, are you related to Mark and Betty Joe? I said, well, they're my parents. <laughs> and then Dottie starts to cry. And she tells me what her last name is. And she said, Bobby's my husband. Well, Bobby's my first cousin. We grew up together, ripping and run. He's three days older than me. Got out of high school. He joined the Navy. I went to college. Hadn't seen him in 18 years. Didn't know anything about where he was gone, where he'd been, what he's doing. Didn't know he joined AA. Married Dottie five years earlier. And she's on her way to see him in San Diego because the ship got into divorcing. Because Bobby was drunk. We call him. He was drunk that night. But that cracked a little door. Cracked the door open, and I a "Real problem with God." We grew up the same God. And had a real problem with that God, and that cracked a little door, a little opening in that door. And today, Dottie and Bobby have like forty-nine years married. You know, he's got like like thirty-eight years sober, something like that. That's just a coincidence, isn't it? God ain't gonna do that. You know the odds of that? She's in Connecticut. He's in San Diego. I'm in Dallas. We meet in Del Rio. She decided to spend the day in... Nobody spends the day in Del Rio, you know? <laughs> That's just a coincidence, isn't it? God ain't going to do that. You're not going to put just the right person at just the right time at just the right information since God works through people, you know? You're not going to do that. That's just a coincidence. If I don't follow directions, I don't have that miracle. There's no miracle there, you know? It's amazing. I'm sitting there, I'm going out to California on business. I'm at the airport, this is before 9-11, and you just walk onto the plane, and they got a big sign up there saying the plane's been canceled. Uh, but there's a plane, a, seat, a plane, three gates down, leaving, it's got 17 seats on standby. You can go and put your, hundred of us run down there, put a name on standby, right? I'm the third, I'm second to the last guy that let it, on, let it on the plane. So I get on the plane, walk back onto the plane. There's one seat left, and this is where you can smoke on planes. Next to the window, in this good-looking gown, in a red dress. Never forget that red dress. God is working in my life today, you know? And uh, so I sit in a bad seat. She's a chatterbox. Bop, 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 just chatter, chatter, chatter. I have not had enough coffee for this woman. So she finally shuts up, and I, she pulls out a needlepoint. She's a She She's a needlepoint she in the serenity prayer. I said, what are you doing? She says, I am just need point. I said, I see that, but what are you, what are you needlepointing? She's embarrassed she to show me. Finally holds up. And she says, well, I call it the serenity prayer. I said, oh, man, are you one of those Jesus freaks? She said, no, 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 but I'm trying to I'm trying to be spiritual. I said, really? She said, yeah. I said, you, and now she's real fast. She's going real fast, 100 miles an hour. I said, you do that fast. She says, yeah. I'm real compulsive. I said, no kidding. She said, yeah. So I thought, I've got to stop this guy before she breaks a finger. I said, honey, just stop. Just put that down for a minute. You're going to hurt yourself. So said, if that's the serenity prayer, and you're trying to be spiritual, and you have this compulsive personality, can I ask you, are you a friend of Bill W.? She stomps and she says, Yes. Are you? I said, No. <laughs> she gets a funny look on her face. I said, He died years before I got sober. You know, I never met Bill. Never met him at all. Yeah. Come to find out, this gal had two months of sobriety. This was her first time away from her home group in sobriety. She got a new job. She was going to San Diego to be trained on this new job. And this was her first trip away from home. she had had her first drunk room the night before. She was petrified. She was scared to death she was gonna get drunk. And uh, that's how that was premonition. So we had a great three-hour meeting out there. I told her about drunk dreams and what that meant. Gave her some phone numbers of people I knew in California. You know, she cried a little bit. She said to me, she said, you know, I can't believe this. She have been trying to quit smoking, you know. I sit i in the non-smoking section. They if I could move if we wanted to. Can you believe God had me move back here to sit in this seat just so I could sit by you? And I said, oh, honey, listen. He canceled my whole plane to get me to come over here and sit by you, you know. <laughs> that's just a coincidence. God ain't going to do that. He's not going to cancel a flight so you can make a 12-step call. Come on, John, that's just a coincidence, right? He's not going to do that. He's not going to put just the right person at just the right time with just the right information since God works through people. That's not, that's just a coincidence, right? Now, I share that because I know that tonight there's people in this room maybe in a lot of pain. And it doesn't matter to matter who you've been sober, 30 days or 30 years. Sometimes it's like you've crawled over the edge of the precipice and you're looking to the abyss and you, and you don't know. Does this God stuff really work? Because I'm in so much trouble now, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've done. I've been in AA now five years, and I don't know what, what's going on. And does this God stuff really work? Is that just AA podium rhetoric we talk about because we can't think about it? If that's where you are, then you need to know that tonight, more than ever, more than ever in my life, I know that God loves us totally. He knows your name. He knows who you are. And he's willing to go to any lengths to see that you get this deal. I used to think that was a one-way street. I used to think I had to be willing to go to any lengths to get sober? I will tell you, I know now that God will go to any lengths to see that you get this deal. And if you have to borrow that God till so you can find a power of your own that will solve your problem, that's what the book's all about to enable you to find a power greater than yourself that will solve your problem. If you need to borrow that God until you can find that power, you don't do it. Because I've borrowed your God lots. In 41 years, I've had to borrow yours lots when I didn't know. And I don't know when God will help you. I really don't know when. But I can tell you exactly how he's going to help you. I know exactly what God's going to do. He's going to put just the right person at just the right time, with just the right information, because God works through people. And I love you, and I appreciate you letting me come share this weekend. Thank you.
1: Isn't it wonderful to hear Mr. Reno John live. Mr. Reno John, we appreciate your service. We appreciate everything about you, everything that you've given to Sober Speak and the listeners here and all the service work that you have done in Alcoholics Anonymous through so many years. And a shout out to your wife, uh, uh, Patty, just in case she's uh, listening in. (laughs) All right, now on to a little bit. Oh, by the way, if you enjoyed that episode, and who would not? have enjoyed that episode. If you could please take some time to pause your device and hit that little share button with a friend or family member, it, that episode, or any of the episodes, maybe just what they need today. Now, on to a little bit of a listener feedback coming out to Ewan's. Stephanie writes in, And Stephanie says, uh, hi, John M. I live on Amelia Island, but I work in Jacksonville, Florida. Well, you know, I have been to both Jacksonville because I used to live there and I've been to Amelia Island. That's a beautiful area. Anyway, she says it's about a 45 minute commute to Jacksonville. I found Sober Speak on YouTube. We have a lot of listeners on YouTube, believe it or not. Anyway, and she says, the different guest speakers appear to carry AA principles, which I appreciate. I take great solace in listening to their honest shares. Your curious spirit comes through with your questions. I'm a little over three years sober. My sobriety date is September 16th of 2019. And she says, uh, then she asked me a question. She says, Do you mind sharing what your date is? I've not heard your experience, strength, and hope on any of the episodes. Kind regards, Stephanie. I don't mind sharing that at all, Miss Stephanie. By the grace of God, I have been sober since uh, May 29th, of 1989. And when I say by the grace of God, I do mean that. Thanks for writing in, Stephanie. Tracy writes in and she says, Hello, John. I l- I'm currently living in West Yorkshire england the united kingdom i have been here for 10 years now previously i was living in northern ireland united kingdom i came across sober speak as i was searching for zoom aa meetings as i thought this may be helpful until i can build up the courage to go on uh, to go to one an aa meeting in person Currently, I have been receiving support from a voluntary uh, sector drug and alcohol charity. I am in early stages as I have only been attending for the previous three months. This will be ongoing for as long as I need it. Thank you, Tracy. Tracy sounds like... uh, you're on the right path. Uh, if we can ever help you here, uh, we're getting connected with somebody. Can I help you with uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or Al-Anon and the 12 steps? Uh, let us know. Okay. Thanks, Tracy. Uh, Ashley writes in and the, um, the subject line is Holly D. And Ashley says, hi, John, please pass my thanks to Holly D., episode number 267 for her story. That comment that she made, quote, Daddy was my first God, unquote, stopped me in my tracks. I finally understood that is why I have been so mad with my once vaunted dad. I did a fist step and of course my dad was in it, but what i wrote in that step felt hollow not right your comment summed up by summed up my feelings about him in sobriety disappointment but that's not the story he didn't quote fail unquote i just got <clears throat> i just need a gr- a god greater than myself to trudge this road to happy destiny perhaps now i can start the journey to having an authentic and honest relationship with him because i can uh, move forward with clearer vision. More to unpack here for sure. Uh, Thank you, Holly, for helping bring that clarity. And as you know, Ashley, I passed that note on to her, and I'll get out of the middle and let you two communicate. But I'm glad Holly D had a significant impact on you. K-Savon writes in, I think I got it right, K-E-S-E. A-V-A-N. I could be wrong, but anyway, I'm going to go with it. Kaysavan, he says, Hi, John. I'm from Chennai, India, and I'm recently relocated to Bengaluru, uh, India. My date of sobriety is June 10th, 2009. Oh, June, June 10th. You probably know this already, on uh, but June, June 10th is the birthday of, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. Anyway, he says my sponsor, Joe Muck of Texas suggested that I join the Facebook group and we're glad to have you. He says, I'm always in, uh, always in AA service case of on C. And then he's got a little, uh, this is a signature and I like that. He says, be kind wherever possible. And it is, always possible everywhere so anyway all right well i'm sure joe has you uh in line if he is your sponsor case of and i appreciate you writing in um martha writes in and she says hi john my name is martha and i am an alcoholic i live in ontario canada We've had quite a uh, international uh, sort of uh, uh, flavor here today. Uh, we have India, we have the United Kingdom, we have Canada now. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, so she says I live in Ontario, Canada, more specifically Cambridge, and will be thirty four on Thursday, November the twenty fourth. So, and I got this a couple weeks ago, so I'm I'm a little behind. So, she is already thirty four. She said, I only recently began going to AA meetings. My last drink was on August 24th, 2022. I had been a daily drinker for the previous 10 years or so. I had managed some soft, some bouts of sobriety with the longest being approximately three months. I always went back to the bottle because I had quote proven I could stop if I wanted to. Obviously that isn't true. After having two months of sobriety on my own, it became obvious to me that I am missing a piece of the puzzle. I have always known that AA is there for me. My sister and I attended Alateen during my mother's AA meetings. Uh, But 20 years later, I seem to have forgotten a lot. (laughs) (laughs) She <laughs> <you> put dough. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that in writing a lot, but I, I get the idea. D apostrophe O. Do. <laughs> I like that. Thanks, Bertha. Uh, she says, I have always known that AA oh oh sorry. What I'm I was giggling too much and lost my place. One day I was searching for podcasts about sobriety and I came across Sober Speak. After listening to Sue S. No, episode number 77, I was convinced that what I need is fellowship in my life. That was the missing piece. So now I am going to meetings and reading the big book. And I hope to find a sponsor soon. I hope you find a sponsor soon, Miss Martha. Thanks for letting me join the super secret Facebook club. The pleasure is all ours, Martha. She says, I love the podcast. Thank you so much for everything you do, Martha F. God bless you, Martha. And we're glad you're in that super secret Facebook group david writes in and he says hi john i just heard your podcast for the first time the episode quote the dark side of spirituality uh and your comment regarding a slip let you start with a news story i think it was actually joe's comment but maybe he's talking to joe but anyway my analogy of uh slips is that is that quote when you fail in the 10th grade they don't put you back in kindergarten they put you in the 10th grade for those less and those are lessons learned and not forgotten and in fact i have to go to my email here because he wrote me back and what did he say because uh, i uh, responded to him um, copied david uh excuse me copied up uh, joe and then he says thanks for responding uh, Responding, i thoroughly appreciated the podcast." I last took a drink in early August of 1982. I know longevity is no guarantee of continuous, continuous sobriety. When I read how it works in our meeting, I uh, when I read how it works in our meetings, I always add present tense shared recently that I am sometimes envious of those relatively new in the program when I hear their dawning awareness. And it has helped me realize a true appreciation of the fellowship of AA. One of my favorite paragraphs in the big book is in the last paragraph of the four of the third edition. And it says, I recently lost my longtime best friend in the program and I miss our daily conversations. Oh, I'm sorry, David. He says, Listening to your podcast is a new experience for me. Looking forward to hearing more. Thanks again, David N., and comfort. Texas. I don't know where comfort food is. Excuse me. Well, (laughs) that's what I was thinking. (laughs) That was a Freudian slip when you said comfort Texas. I was thinking, I wonder if they serve comfort food in comfort Texas. I am sure they do. I'm not sure where it is, but uh, hopefully we meet face to face here one of these days, Mr. David. Thanks for writing in. Don writes in, D-O-N, Don. He says, Hi, John. I live in Vail, Arizona. I guess that's not Vail, Colorado there must be another veil in this world. He says, I have been sober since excuse me uh, November 17th 1985 well God bless you Don he says I came across your site while I was searching for something else well it's a it's a it's a coincidence it's a it's a a, a God moment it's a uh, I, don't, I don't know I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of some word but I'm glad you found us he says I attend four to five meetings a week I have a sponsor and I sponsor others best. Don B. in Bale, Arizona. Well, if you're in Vale, Arizona and you know Mr. Don B., sober since 1985, please give him my best. Pat writes in and Pat says, hi, John M. This is Pat S. I am an alcoholic and I have been trying to quit now for six years. I am an analytical person in the engineering field, so basically my approach to quitting was to amass as much knowledge as possible about alcohol and addiction as I could. I have read at least 30 books, and I have done many online quitting courses. I would quit for a time, but nothing ever stuck, and it would make me end up drinking more. It's called progression, Mr. Pat. Uh, I kept thinking to myself, with all of that knowledge that I have on alcohol and what it is doing to my mind and body, how is it that I can still drink? It was maddening. And in fact, it says in the book, Pat, uh, self-knowledge will avail us nothing. It says, I stumbled across your across your podcast after installing Podcast Guru on my phone. Well, apparently I'm on Podcast Guru, didn't even know it. And I figured I would give it a listen while doing some robotic maintenance at work. Well, one turned into many, but one in particular with Matthew M stood out. You know, in fact, I passed your message on to uh, Matthew, and he said, thank you, John. You know, it made my day. I said, well, it's not me. Uh, it's Mr. Pat writing in, but I appreciate it. He says he was talking about being spiritually bankrupt, and I immediately thought of a quote from a book. The book was entitled... Alcohol Explained by William Porter and he wrote about AA and stated that it was not for him because AA was essentially a spiritual program. The question that I could not get out of my mind was am I even fighting on the right playing field? Could it be that all of the time all the time and energy was spent playing The wrong game. Well, last night I went to my first AA meeting online, and it was the first night in a while that I have not drank. Good for you, Pat. I will go back tonight uh, and the night after. I guess that's the craziest thing about our life. You never know when or where you will find the missing piece of your puzzle. Thanks for all you do on the pot. Thanks for all you do and pod on <laughs> in big capital letters, my friend. God bless Pat S. <laughs> well, I will continue to pod on Pat S. If you do me a favor and keep attending those meetings. All right. Okay, everybody, that there, is another episode of, uh and that what was, it, what was it 269 i think i think we just did 269 it's in the books it's in the can as they say we're wrapped up and uh, i hope to be back next week as i always say i really do take this one week at a time i you know there are many times i promise you where i go okay this is the week i'm taking off but it's been a long time uh but nonetheless uh i think i'll be back next week uh but if i'm not Eh, you know, it's because I'm taking it one week at a time. But nonetheless, okay, so what do I like to say here? Okay, keep coming back. It works if you work it. And then the other thing I like to say is may God bless you and keep you until then. Thanks for listening. Adios.